Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to episode one three thirteen of the Founding Fellows podcast. As always, you already know I'm your co-host Zach Rainsford, joined by Braden Hind. Braden, what's up, big boy? Uh, not too much. Bit of an early recording for us today to uh, to get it out to the people this afternoon. Oh God, I'm suffering. It's eleven forty-five. I woke up three minutes ago. This, this lockdown life is it's messing with my sleep schedule. You know. Yeah, usually I can't go to sleep until about probably two now and i try a lot of the time because the odd time i have to get up for, for like a meeting or an appointment pretty early on in the week what yeah. i've been doing is I've, I've been taking melatonin but it doesn't seem to help reset my schedule the next night i'm back to like tossing and turning at 2 a.m mm-hmm. i just want to be able to sleep i usually listen to an audiobook before i go to sleep did uh, i do the same pro thing tip. yeah pro, i listen to, listen, uh, listen to right now i listen to youtube videos there's two oh, channels okay infographics show and uh wendover productions and they're they're both like educational youtube videos like 10 minutes in length and just toss one of those on and pass out not a bad idea no i i like to excuse me beforehand i'd like to listen to french stuff to like keep improving upon my french because obviously my stint in france got cut short so i didn't get to that full bilingual mark but i still want to continue my french to get to that you know bilingual designation so to speak that'd be cool but then i found out recently that doing the language education before bed is actually, it stimulates the part of the brain that wakes you up. <laughs> Sound. So I was like, okay, maybe that's a problem, but even cutting that out hasn't really helped, but whatever, I guess it's have you, uh, uh, cool, but Do you find you have weird dreams when you take melatonin? Not really. You know what, you know what I do have weird dreams is when I wake up. So say I wake up at 6am and I yeah. check my phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's way too early. And then I go back to sleep. Those are usually yeah. when I have those dreams and like I get um, sleep paralysis sometimes when I do that. Is that where you're like frozen? Yeah, you're like that's sketchy. How how is that? Is that it's, weird? Uh, I've actually learned a couple. Of, the first time I remember having it, I was first year of university. It happened like twice when I had I had like back to back naps in the middle of the afternoon. Of course, first year right? you're just napping all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. And I remember getting mauled by. I got mauled by a lion. Like this lion was just ripping me to like shreds, and I couldn't do anything about it. I was just getting like eaten. And then I woke up and I was stuck and I couldn't move. Uh, And the other one was I fell off a cliff and I was actually like face down on my pillow. So I was lying on my stomach, like falling asleep, (laughs) which I usually don't. I sleep on my back, but for the nap, I can like, if I have naps, I can do whatever. And I woke up and I was stuck, dude. And I, there was drool all over my pillow. I was stuck. (laughs) I was literally stuck falling. Dude, it was so scary when it first happened to me. Now I kind of know how to get out of it. Yeah. I wake up, I'm stuck. But I can usually identify that it is sleep paralysis. And I have this thing in my body where you have to like mentally grapple with it. And you have to like jerk yourself forward. But you can't start the jerk like a normal jerk where you just jerk. You have to like start the momentum in your body and then like come follow through with it. I don't know how to describe it, but then I can I can jerk myself out of it now. <laughs> okay, that sounded a bit Quick bad. little morning jerk. <laughs> Quick little morning jerk to get out of sleep paralysis. <laughs> just pull up the hub somehow. <laughs> you can still talk to me be like hey siri the hub. <laughs> siri help me take me to the hub Dude, that, that you saying that like naps and stuff in first year reminded me of my meal plan in first year i think i got like the second largest or the largest meal plan because i was like i'm gonna eat a lot i, I hopped on that largest too yeah 100 uh little did i account for waking up at about 1 30 p.m every day and uh, missing <laughs> breakfast and lunch <laughs> i uh at the end of first year i had like four or five hundred dollars left in my meal plan i remember i just went to uh this taw and i bought just cases on cases on cases of vitamin water because that's all they had and nice. i don't even like vitamin water yeah. it tastes like manure for the most part <laughs> manure, yeah it's not great i actually ran out of money on my mine's the total opposite dude i woke up i'd ran out of money because i was mucking subway twice daily <laughs> i don't know how i didn't gain a bunch of weight i actually lost i remember when we like first couple of weeks in university i actually lost probably like 10 pounds because i was just drinking and was forgetting to eat <laughs> and then i started to develop an ulcer dude i remember i woke up in the middle of the night and this is when we had like roommates. I'd ke- I keep waking up in the middle of the night and I'd be salivating like a demon. Like there'd be like a liter of saliva coming on <laughs> up until like I'd have like a cup there. So I went home to the doctor and like, yeah, you're developing an ulcer. And I'm like, uh, is that because I was drinking like a, just a hound? And like, oh, maybe. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Dude, have you ever heard the story about uh, BJ and bubble tea? No. So BJ's got a very, um, I'd say addictive personality. He'd admit this too. Like when Fortnite came out, 
There was one day he played Fortnite for approximately 13 hours. I had a 10 hour shift Jeez. at work. I left in the morning. Like we played a game or two at Fort in the morning. And then I went to work, worked 10 hours, came back. BJ had not moved. I was like, dude, are you good? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I've just been ripping. I got a dub. Dude, he's dub. bad. He's bad at Fortnite too. So what uh, he, I remember he stood up and he's like, he almost fell over. He's like, my ankles, my ankles. But I digress. So I this can guy, never, I've never won. But anyways, Fortnite. Well, if you use BJ's strategy, it's pretty hard to lose. You just sit in the corner and yeah. uh, or sit in a bush and like just wait until it's one v one. His slogan was, "You only got to kill one to win, boys." <laughs> it was painful watching him. But yeah, so he's got a really addictive personality, basically. And uh, the bubble tea was put in. I think it was like a presso tea, like across from Pizza Pizza on uh, Wyandotte there. Mm-hmm. And he would go there two or three times a day, and it's all he would have. And it got to the point where he had like. I don't know if it was like the tapioca or like so much of it, like in his stomach, he had to like, literally he was hospitalized because he had too much bubble tea. Hello, type two diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are you? Jesus, man. No, I actually, I've only had bubble tea a handful of times and usually they're actually on dates. Yeah. Like when I was in water, right. there's bubble tea. Literally, it's like shawarma in Windsor. There's literally bubble tea everywhere you look. Yeah. So that's pretty good. I, I don't mind the tapioca balls. Dude, I hate the tappies. I hate the tappies. Oh, like the jelly. It's just so foreign. Yeah. But uh, you want to move on to our first topic? Yeah, a little bit of uh, MLB. So I don't know much about the MLB. Um, I don't know if you do either, but I know I like it when the Jays are winning. So the Jays signed George Springer. They play out of Toronto, right? Uh, No, Buffalo. (laughs) (laughs) As of last year, Buffalo, the Buffalo Blue Jays. uh, George Springer, six years, $150 million contract, which is a a boatload of money. He's a former Houston Astro and was part of the Houston Astro, kind of the cheating scandal that went on there. He's uh, 31 years old, and uh, which is kind of old, but like for baseball, it's not. Baseball's got an interesting prime as opposed to most sports because, you know, you don't have to be the, the peak athlete to succeed in uh, baseball. Look at Vlad Guerrero Jr. Like as a, he's got a dump truck and he's just crushing baseball. So it's, it's well, actually yeah, yeah, the male like peak physique is in the thirties actually. So it makes oh, sense it? for a sport like baseball. Yeah. For like muscle mass and whatnot. Oh, I got time to go then. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Basically for our uh, blue Jays fans out there, Jays look good this year. Uh, hopefully they're playing back in Toronto I don't know if they will be with the border and stuff like that. I would assume they're not going to be, at least for the first half of the season. And then at that point, they probably commit to, you know, Buffalo or the same setup for the rest of the season. So there you go. It'll be fun to watch. Fun to Quick watch. Question for you on sports. Does Portland have a sports team besides the Trailblazer? Yeah, they got the Portland Winterhawks at WHL. Okay. So just a junior hockey team. Well, <clears throat> some interesting news out of Portland, actually, that you probably didn't see covered in the media is that uh, on the day of the inauguration, there was an Antifa protest running around town, smashing in buildings, uh, eight arrests were made. They actually attacked the Democratic office for Portland. Uh, it doesn't really make sense because they consider themselves far left, but I guess to them, Joe Biden is not far enough left. So pretty insane. You didn't see that anywhere on the media. I actually did. So I got it on Twitter. I got news of it on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I saw it on Twitter too. I dig through Google for mm-hmm. an actual reputable source. Nothing on CNN, obviously nothing in Canada, but uh, mainstream media in the U.S. did not really cover it. It was yeah, I saw they were they were called the anti Biden Antifa, and basically all my sources came from uh, like reading through Twitter and stuff too. So insane though, insane though, and I see that Trump might start his own Patriot Party. Yeah, have you uh, have you heard about that at all? I, I caught wind of it, but I haven't given it any serious thought. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think the U.S. has seen the last of Donald Trump. They've got some actual politicians running the show again, which. I mean, depending on your perspective, can be good or bad. I think it's we'll get into Biden a little bit later on here. But. I don't actually think that Trump's done. No, you don't. I think I he think is. there's going to be a resurgence of the Donald in the, the next election somewhere. I think he's going to try, but he's just not going to catch a win. I think Joey Biden here is going to do uh, do enough to get another. Well, I don't know if he'll get another term, but I think he'll do enough to get another Democratic uh, term in here. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't run again or if he like. Shoves it over to Kamala Harris or well, something so like that. He's so old. He is. Uh, he is. He is up there. Yeah. He's seventy-eight, I believe. Yeah. So he's the oldest president of the United States ever be inaugurated. And Donnie's pretty old too. He's what seventy-five. 
74. Pretty, yeah. But, uh, yeah, maybe not in as good of health conditions as, uh, as some other 74 year olds out there. Well, look at the leadership you have in the democratic party. You have the president obviously at 70 and then you have Nancy Pelosi leader of the, the house, right? 80 old years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're aging out here. Like she does. She looks good for 80. I think she's a bit of a loon <laughs> to be fair, but she's looking good for 80. Kudos to you. I'm going to have to Google her. Cause I didn't, I had no idea she was that old and I've, That's I've probably insane, seen her before. Dude. Oh, she looks insane. yeah she looks great dude you hate to say it but like when i'm that age like you know like hopefully i'm lucky enough to get to that age i need to know what kind of work she's had done because i need that work <laughs> done who's her guy or well girl even or who's who's her doc you know who's her yeah who's sticking she the on the, that forehead is she on the monet uh face supplements or what's going on here i need that uh, regime it's need like, that she's looking good for 80 like i yeah. don't want to get in that, that creepy realm but She's actually giving me the eyes in one of these pictures here. She she takes care of herself. That's we'll we'll say that. Dude, I swear to God, one of these photos I'm looking at on Google just winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta close this out. It just says sup. <laughs> I wasn't able to browsers. I wasn't able to jerk out of my sleep paralysis. I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Lord have mercy. All right. Yeah. So Trump's Patriot. You think Trump's gonna going to come back for another term. You think he's going to win another term or just try and make another, uh, make some noise. I just think he's going to make some noise. Um, yeah. I just read today that the articles of impeachment are going to be passed in the next few days or early next week to, um, the, the Senate. Not sure what's going to come of that, but he could get impeached and he can't, they can actually bar him from running again, but it's, it's all intricate, very complicated. So no point speculating. I don't think the Patriot party is going to happen. No, but, who knows what's, it's, what's going to take place with him resurging later on. It's interesting because I don't want to say Donald Trump listens to our podcast, but all signs are pointing to that because we did say a couple days ago that we needed a three-party or a three-party political system would benefit yep. the United States of America. So I'm not saying I'm not saying he's listening, but I'm not saying he's not not listening. You know, could go either way. The Patriots Party would actually be the worst thing to happen to the Republican Party. Oh, yeah. Because you have most people that are somewhat – just right wing, normal right wing people veering mm-hmm. from center right to mid right wing. And that's what makes up the Republican Party. And you have a small section of them that goes for the left as well. You have that small section of what's considered alt right. And if you were to have a Patriot Party, essentially, you would just peel away the outer rims of the alt right. And, and yeah. unfortunately, the party and both parties are use the the alt right and alt left respect, alt right and alt left respectively. It'd peel away those votes and it'd probably chalk up to hundreds of thousands, if not into the millions of votes. Cause you even have people on the fringe of, of mid right uh, into alt right that would probably end up voting for the Patriot Party. And essentially, you'd just be taking away votes from the Republican Party. Yeah. Do you think he's the reason that he might be mulling this over? I don't know if he'll actually ever do it, is because he's kind of upset with how the, how some people in the Republican Party treated him in his last couple of uh, like weeks and months. They kind of distanced themselves from him, which I mean, you can't really blame him. I think he probably expected it because like, excuse me, in politics, it's just kind of cutthroat, right? Hey, ride with who's hot. Yeah. You put the facade up of, you know, you're all fine and dandy. You're you're working together at times. And then the smallest little blip in the radar that could be perceived as negative for someone comes along and you're, you're throwing them to the wolves, right? You see it all the time. You you see it in in Canadian media recently. Derek Sloan, a former conservative MP, was kicked out of the caucus because he received a donation. He had thousands of donations. He received a donation from one guy who he found out to be a white supremacist, uh, a racist. And when he found this out, he said, return the money. I don't want the money from this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately said, return the money. And the Conservative Party of Canada actually also does look at what's happening. They see the donations. They they take part of the donations as well. So they're just as, they're, they're a party involved with the donation as well. So Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the official opposition of the Conservative Party, comes out and basically says, no, we're, we're cutting him. He took money from a racist. And that didn't go over too well, obviously, because he said, OK, I want to give the money back to the racist. I don't want any, any money from a racist, et cetera, et cetera. The party also took money from the racist through this donation. Yep. And he comes out and said, oh, it's a, there's a plethora of examples we could throw up there of, of what we basically don't like about Derek Sloan and how he runs his campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. But pretty much they use this as a scapegoat to kick, kick someone out of the party. It doesn't make any sense to me, right? It just shows how cutthroat politics can even be in Canada. 
Yeah. It, well, that's the thing. Cut th- like politics. It is just so cutthroat. You do one thing wrong, you're gone. I, it's it's all about the public trust, right? And that public image. And if you do one thing to burn it, but what did he do wrong, right? What did he do wrong? Which is what he, we're seeing he, here. He went to return the money. He, I'm not actually a big fan of Derek Sloan. I thought he was he's too right wing for me because I mm-hmm. followed the conservative leadership. Do you think that <laughs> had anything to do with it? That uh, oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. I I voted in the conservative leadership, and I did not vote for Derek Sloan. Was my last choice actually of the four remaining, mm-hmm. and. It's just, it's, it's sad to see that they use this as a scapegoat just because I didn't want him to lead the party. Doesn't mean that it uh, diminishes the importance of some of his center right views for conservatives in Canada, right? He represents probably a decent chunk, probably at least a million Canadians views about what they want the party to be and essentially how these parties work and how they kind of stay true to themselves is you have people on the center, right? You have people on veering on the far right, you have people on the center right, and usually you get something that's a, a mix of the three. And the same goes for the left, and that's it's important to have that parity in a party. So whatever, it's kind of just, I know I veered off of the Trump topic for a second, but it is relevant to Canada, and it just kind of goes to show that politics is kind of disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got another Canadian-born uh, politician to talk about. This time it's Canadian-born U.S. Senator and uh, former, I think he tried getting the Republican nomination a couple of times now, Ted Cruz. Did you know he was born in Canada? I did know that. He was born in Alberta, I believe, right? Yeah. So he had a tweet the other day. I'm just going to read it because I think it's, I don't know if it's like satire, like what's going on with this tweet. You probably know what I'm talking about already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Senator Ted Cruz tweets, by rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, President Biden indicates he's more interested in the views of the citizens of Paris than in the jobs of the citizens of Pittsburgh. This agreement will do little to affect the climate and will harm the livelihoods of Americans. Like, is that satire or was he just not aware? I think it's misinterpreted. I think that he delivered it terribly. I think that was the stupidest way to put it, obviously. Oh, yeah. But I think essentially the message he's trying to deliver is that the president is saying he's concerned with the the livelihoods, et cetera, of people outside of the United States, mm-hmm. right? He's saying that anyone else in the Paris, any other country in the agreement, he's more concerned about them than he is the blue collar people at Pittsburgh who rely on manufacturing. Yeah. So I think that's the message he was trying to convey. I think it was a terrible choice of words because it just makes him sound like an idiot. Oh yeah. But I don't, I don't think he actually meant it in terms of just the people of Paris. I think he was just using that as an example because as you, as you see, he drew on two cities. He didn't say Paris and then the United States. Then, that, then you would kind of have been like, okay, you're out to lunch. Yeah, yeah, what are you but doing? But he said Paris, a big city in France, obviously. And then you have Pittsburgh, <laughs> a big city in the United States. He's uh, very dependent on you know fracking and manufacturing. So I don't think it's yeah. as bad as people perceive it, but people are going to run with it anyways, right? It's just a headline that people can run with to push through that narrative of that he's an idiot. Yeah, and definitely, uh, definitely supports the narrative. But uh, speaking of, you know, people pushing through and, uh, and media and stuff like that. So the media kind of continues to alienate Trump supporters. That's another topic we've got here. Do you want to roll into that one? What do you think? Yeah, I just see that they go on and on and on about how great Joe Biden's been, been doing. And they still kind of talk about, I saw a clip on CNN. I should have pulled it up for the podcast. Essentially someone saying, oh, he's like, talking about Trump, he's leaving disgraced and blah, blah, blah. He's hanging his head. He should be ashamed of himself. And, you know, that's an opinion. That's not a fact. You saw it upwards. 80 million people vote for the guy. Like, how is that necessarily leaving in disgrace? But I don't know. It's just a bit of a mess. They kind of just continue to push that narrative of like Don Lemon the other night on CNN was on there and he was talking about essentially saying that all Trump voters are to blame. And it's kind of come to that point where for the, for the Capitol riots, He's kind of grouping everyone in there with the people that were riding. He's kind of like, it's, you know, it's come to that point where you're responsible for this too, in other words. And it's just, you've won. You've got, you've got buying in there. Can you just, sh- like, I think CNN's just freaking out because what are they going to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen articles about, I'm not sure if this is from CNN, but just the types of articles I'm seeing about Biden. Oh, what's his favorite type of ice cream? Oh, him and his wife are battling over the Peloton. It's like, Okay. And they not yeah. just buy another one? Like Yeah. It, it's it just boggles my mind, man, the the difference between and I, I've already said this many times, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but just seeing the 
the difference between when he was taking office to when Biden's taking office and how the media is approaching him. Any interview you watch with Biden now, it's all fluff questions. Yeah. The easiest questions ever. When was that ever offered to, not even Donald Trump, but when is that ever offered to Republican presidents for the most part? It's interesting the level of, uh, you know, it's just an unequal playing field in the in the yeah. media scene in the United States of America. Uh, it, and, I mean, you can make that what you want. It's it's pretty factual, I'd say. Uh, and you can see it in Canada as well. So the Canada media, Canadian media, pardon me, is going real easy on Biden, despite him cutting the Keystone XL pipeline, which is arguably worse than anything Trump did to Canada as president. I mean, you do have like the steel tariffs and stuff like that. And just there's a little bit of a, a tariff uh, war there for a little bit. But I mean, this this Keystone cutting the Keystone XL pipeline on the, on day one of his presidency, it's really got to irk Albertans. And I mean, a vast majority of Canadians in general, because that Keystone XL pipeline, it's a direct reflection of our economy. We kind of talked about it on previous episodes, but like the, uh, the Alberta government had $1.5 billion invested into it with options for $8 billion in additional uh, like loans and, and uh, investments into into the project. So what do you, and, and there's really, I mean, Trudeau said, uh, he was basically like, it, it, we regret to inform Canadians of Biden's decision. Uh, sounds like he's not willing to negotiate on it. And then that's it. So it's it's interesting to see that the, the lack of uh, basically pressure by the Canadian media on Joe Biden regarding something that is so detrimental to, not only Albertans, but Canadians in general. Well, I think the sad, sad part of it is that people listening to this podcast probably are happy, excited. A lot of people listening to it, right? Especially from big cities like Toronto, they don't really understand the importance of the oil industry for Canada and especially for Alberta and mm-hmm. Albertans. It's easy for us to kind of sit back and say, oh, it's great to push green energy, green energy. But the harsh reality of the world is you have millions of people in Alberta that are pretty much dependent on this industry. Yep. The Canadian economy has these natural resources that it, it should be using. It should be leveraging in the global economy to make us a stronger nation, to help us develop those green energies. So that's very sad in and of itself. But looking towards Trudeau and kind of what he's saying, his narrative, right? It's it's something we've seen time and time again. He's just back down and he's catering to probably the far left on his party. And it's a bit sad that he's not standing up for Canadians. You had a big financial commitment by the conservative government in in Alberta that taxpayers are on the line for. And you'd think that the prime minister would want to fight tooth and nail to <laughs> at least get that money back. Yeah. And that's just not being done. He's kind of rolled over like a dog, like he usually does with any controversial issue. <laughs> and he's just kind of had the go. And now he's, he's got a new scandal. They can worry about that. The media can go fluff on him for it's about the governor general having to resign over essentially being called a bully. And you know what the, the media headlines are? Oh, even though it's her, he's gonna have to wear he's gonna have to wear this one. And it's just the soft narrative just gets old. It gets old. You have you have things like the Keystone XL pipeline being canceled that really really does impact the lives of many Canadians, especially in Alberta. And to just kind of sit back and, and fluff over it and not grill them in the media is pretty disgusting. But I actually have a clip from Jason Kenny kind of further explaining the the magnitude of the situation for Albertans. Run it. This is a gut punch for the Canadian and Alberta economies. Sadly, it is an insult directed at the United States' most important ally and trading partner on day one of a new administration. Today, as I speak, over 2,000 women and men have lost their jobs or are heading home from good paying union jobs as a result of this decision. My thoughts go to every one of them as they cope with the distressing consequences of today's decision. We'll continue to fight for them and for the uh, 59,000 jobs that this project would create. So you hear that 2,000 jobs lost, they would create 59,000 jobs and you have the prime minister of the country rolling over like a dog. Explain that to me, how that makes sense. Well, quite frankly, it doesn't. It's, It's something that's so important to, you know, the Canadian economy, careers, jobs, and now we've got another 2000 people hopping on EI. It's just like a, another, a number of different it industries. It doesn't matter to Trudeau, man. The there, boring right? train doesn't stop. Yeah. I think it's Trudeau's, 
his carbon plan, I think, I don't know the proper term for it, but he's very like reducing carbon emissions driven. Right. And I think that carbon tax. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is something that kind of works with his, uh, his agenda and kind of really focusing on the economy. So I don't think he's it. Well, it doesn't seem like he's that upset. Right. Like, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he's not, he's kind of just succumbed to the United States decision and he's not backing it. They're trying to push back at all. So, well, you just, yeah, here, here's a, here's something to think about. How can I take anyone else at their word if I can't take the prime minister, the leader of our country at his own word? Yeah. You have him and his administration coming out and saying, this is important to us. We're going to fight for Canadians. We're going to fight for Canadian jobs. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a plan to reduce carbon emissions in Canada, which is great. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, you know, your word is your word. You're on our car. You have our carbon plan that you've kind of shoved down our throats using COVID as a smokescreen. And then you come out here and you just abandon Alberta when, when they need you most. Mm-hmm. And the whole narrative with the Biden administration is, oh, we're going to you know, reinstill all these positive relationships with our most important allies. Canada's the most important ally to the United States, especially in terms of trade and geographical location. So to kind of punch us in the gut like that, as, as Jason Kenney just said, it, it's a bit sad to see. And it's it's even worse to see that Trudeau doesn't seem to care about about Canadians it, so long as you, you know you don't fit his his, his goal of, of reducing carbon emissions in, in the blink of an eye. It's, it's just frustrating, quite frankly. And it also goes back to the issue with, you know, Canadian media and American media. There's just not much of a, a level of parity between, uh, you know, the right wing and left wing medias, which isn't necessarily, no, it is a bad thing. Actually, everybody needs to get the same treatment in the media as far as, uh, you know, the political spectrum goes, despite who you represent, who you're, uh, who you support. I think we need to be able to ask the same hard hitting questions, no matter which party somebody's exactly. running for and somebody's, whether it's a democratic or Republican or in Canada, conservative, liberal NDP, like, the media needs to be asking the same questions. And then you can get into the whole topic of, well, CBC state funded, obviously they're going to favor towards Trudeau or whoever's sitting at the time, even though it's typically, I feel that they trend more towards the liberal side. So yeah. it's just, uh, it's just a little frustrating. I, I wish that the media centers and media companies would be able or would ask these, these hard hitting questions, which Trudeau might not have an answer for. Right. And try and yeah. make some change and, expose like there's there's not been much of a a backlash as far as canadians go on this and i and i think that that's got something to do with the media because without really reading into it you don't understand the impact that it's going to have on the canadian economy and the canadian citizens and especially alberta yeah and uh from the united states perspective it makes zero sense because you're going to be getting your oil from you know the saudis and the russians and whatnot who just don't care about the environment right now Mm-hmm. Their their primary goal is to maximize profit and revenues. And you look at Canada, a nation who has taken environmental standards very seriously, uh, as can be seen by the carbon tax that's just being instilled in our, our goals for reducing emissions. So you have a country who's responsible in terms of the environment, one of the most responsible in the world, or going very. to become one of the most responsible in the world. And rather than having a safe pipeline if you actually look into the details of the pipeline it's very safe for the environment mm-hmm. the problem with the pipeline for the Biden administration is that it's it's oil because you'd be sending crude oil down to the united states that'd be refined so it's not about the actual effects that the pipeline would have on the environment it's about the generalization of of crude oil and that they want to veer away from oil so you have a country like canada who takes their standards has very high standards takes it very seriously for the environment you'd be getting some of and I quote, cleanest oil in the world in terms of environmental standards and it becoming easy access from a trading partner and your most important ally and you've made a financial commitment, but then just you you clip it first day. It just, it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's it makes no sense. And you mentioned, you know, it's it's oil essentially getting shipped down to the Gulf to, to be refined. So yep. not only does this decision impact Canadian jobs, it really impacts American jobs too. And, and I understand as a as society we're trying to weed away from oil and you know crude products but quite frankly we're not there yet no. those plastic containers that you put your leftovers in 
those are oil products, your phone case. It's an oil product. Yep. Like we're so dependent on oil at levels that I don't think many people or not as many people understand as they probably should. Nope. And I, I'm, I'm the same. I'm like, yeah, clean energy is important. I think we could work like look into hydrogen as far as like powering aircrafts and stuff's concerned. But right now uh, the way our society is looking and it's not going to be a drastic change over the next couple of years, we need to continue kind of working in, with oil, like it's, we're not yep. done with it yet. Unfortunately, it'd be great if we were, but we've put the money into it and uh, the investment's been made. And it's a fact of the matter is that we still rely relatively heavily on, uh, on crude products. Yeah. So. Perspective. So important. Right. I was going back to, you know, people in Toronto and, and suburbs of Ontario, it's hard for us to kind of, or can be to wrap your head around the magnitude of the situation, right? You don't, you don't see the manufacturing being done of your products. You don't see mm-hmm. the waste that comes from your products, et cetera, et cetera. So to actually kind of wrap your head around that is hard. And and furthermore, how does research and development get funded through you know, profit? You, money doesn't grow on trees. I know Trudeau's government likes to think so in terms of how they borrow, <laughs> but money doesn't grow on trees. And, and a lot of research and development needs to be funded. And a lot of the yep. time you need to find even outside funding, outsourced funding. So what better way to do that than to continue having a strong natural resource-backed economy in Canada where you have that extra revenue to invest in research and development and we can even get to that next step of, of not being dependent on oil that much quicker. It just doesn't, there's just, if you look at it from a common sense perspective, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's, and that's why it boggles my mind and really irks me that people in the media, especially aren't asking these questions. People that tend to vote liberal in these metropolitan cities aren't asking questions because you hit the nail right in the head. It's hard for them to kind of wrap their head around it, their head around that they don't see how that product's made with oil or that product's made with oil, how we're dependent on oil. And at the same time for them to wrap their head around how, how research and development actually works and how it needs funding and how it needs time and essentially more funding can accelerate things. Look at the so, vaccine, right? The COVID vaccine, exactly, exactly. unlimited funding for it. And we got a vaccine in a matter of months rather than the typical vaccine process that takes upwards of 10, 20 years. Exactly. And, and it'd be great to see us rely more heavily on our natural resources and leverage that extra revenue and that profit for the country on research development. We could be leading the way in a few years if we did that, I believe. Well said. I like that. That's a very good point. So moving on, though, did you hear what's happening in uh, in Australia? Just a quick thing about Google. Well, I just want to touch just a little bit more on Biden before we, we move off. Oh, yeah, uh, I didn't see your note. You want to talk about what he's done thus far? Go ahead. Yeah, Check just because I think he actually, like, we're kind of bashing him, but not not exactly him. I think it's more so we're bashing the media's uh, stance on him and how they're not asking the hard-hitting questions that we'd like to be heard or like yep. to be asked, yep. right? So Biden rejoins. This is the first uh, couple of days of his uh, presidency, what he's done. Biden rejoins the Paris Agreement. World Health Organization focuses on COVID-19 vaccinations, and he targets 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days of presidency. Uh, Dr. Fauci, or Fauci, Fauci, whatever it is, says it's liberating working with the Biden administration. So it sounds like Biden's really focusing on some important things, and I think that we'd all agree America being part of the World Health Organization is important. The Paris Agreement is important. You know, vaccinating 100 million people in the first 100 days of the presidency is very ambitious. Yeah. But if he's able to accomplish that, that's awesome as well. And that's a good thing for Canada, too, because the more people that get vaccinated in the United States of America, it means the more vaccines are coming up here and we need the vaccines. Yep. So uh, very good points there. And I also want to add something quick before we move on. I was bashing Trudeau a lot, but I also think Aaron O'Toole, the later conservatives right now in the official opposition, has not been doing enough to challenge Trudeau either. He's kind of just going around the thing, maybe a loose statement here and there. Mm-hmm. Oh, Trudeau should have done more. It's not Trudeau should be doing more. We should, should be doing this. Uh, there's no critical thought there. It's kind of nothing proactive, very reactive. So I don't think the conservatives are pulling their weight either. Didn't want to have too much bias there. I'm not really happy with anyone right now in parliament. Good. So right. move, moving on to the Australian parliament, actually. Something around Google. So there's been legislation sent out in the in the Australian Parliament centering around Google and having them pay news sources for listing uh, anything to do with their news in the actual Google search engine. What do you think on that? Um, my so essentially, initial... yeah, they just they send a little search. You see a bunch of news pages pop up. For all those news pages in there, they have to pay the news company for for even being able to list. Okay, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but does that not sound like propaganda? Yeah, exactly. So 
you, you hit it right in the head again. So Mel Silva, who's actually the manning, managing director for Australia and New Zealand, proposed Google's new showcase, uh, new showcase where the company pays select media outlets to display curated content as an alternative to the Australian legislation. So their government's essentially saying this is very scary if you think about it. So the government's coming out with this proposition of, okay, you have to pay all the news outlets. And you have someone from inside the government saying, actually, why don't we, or someone from Google say, actually, why don't we select the media that we pay, right? Why don't we select the different outlets that we actually want to put on Google? So what does that do? It allows Google to control what news you're seeing. That is concerning uh, to yeah. the utmost degree, quite frankly. I yeah. think we need to watch the social dilemma. We talked about it on episode one of this podcast, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And it just that it scared us, but I think we should watch it and just kind of see where our views and uh, our kind of comments and stuff are at as far as media is concerned goes and what's uh, yeah. kind of on the same line as a social dilemma there. Because I wouldn't be surprised if they're relatively similar. And right now what we're seeing with the media is definitely alarming, whether you're left-wing or right-wing, like it doesn't matter, or central. Like I'm, I'm a pretty central guy. Like I, there's right-wing policies and left-wing policies that I, I like, and I, my votes kind of go all over the place, but yep. I'm concerned with where where the media is at. Like, I mean, last epi, I even said, uh, federal I voted liberal provincial conservative like yep. there's and it's it it just it's it's very scary because you have first off when I read this this article I was like okay I'm on Google side for this for once I'm on Google side I don't mm -hmm. think they should have to pay to put it's essentially an open source platform you're just putting the websites up there companies if they're smart enough and can can leverage those clicks on their websites and turn that into, into profit whether it be through advertisement subscription services it's it's that's the new era you know, yeah. each, the company has to figure that out themselves. But when you have the managing director for Google for, for Australia and New Zealand propose such a preposterous thing about letting them select the media and then they'll pay the selected media sources. That is super scary. Then you have, you literally have Google or Alphabet Inc. controlling every piece of news you're going to be seeing in Australia on, on the internet. That's that's like, powerful. Like, I cannot wrap my head around that. This isn't like a, and this isn't like a, I don't know what you could say, a developing nation. This is Australia. Yeah. This is part of the Commonwealth that you're seeing this. So Google should be ashamed for even coming out and saying that. And people should I, be paying more attention to this. Yeah. I think that this, this story here is kind of, I don't think it's, uh, power to the utmost degree for Google. If you're able to kind of shape what society thinks and which is what you're going to be able to do if you're controlling, if Google is basically putting whatever they want in their search engines and okay, you want news? Here's the news that you get to see today. That yeah. is an insane amount of power. They're able to push whatever political agendas they want. Yep. So, and then that means the politicians are going to be catering to Google yep. because they're going to want to keep Alphabet Inc. happy, right? And the like directors and, you know, the higher ups there. So they're going to be doing whatever they can because Google's going to have so much sway and power over what the people of Australia think without them even knowing. So yep. really gotta... I, I bet you that's the social dilemma. I, like I said, I've never seen it, but I bet you that's basically the premise of the social dilemma where we don't have any control what goes down our throats as far as media goes. And this is a another step in the wrong direction. And I think that's why... Uh, podcasts like ours are so important, right? You, we talk about stuff that's not really heavily talked about in the media. Yeah, We're not scared to state our opinions on media bias, on not going after certain politicians for, for blunders and whatnot, just because of their ideology and their allegiance to their party. And to think about having that taken away, it's just, it's very scary. And I hope people actually pay attention to this story. I'd like to definitely follow and see how it develops. We can talk about it on later episodes as more information comes up. Hopefully it gets squashed. Let's hope. Let's hope. But back to Canada, back to Ontario. I see that kids are supposed to return to school uh, Monday the 25th, despite the stay-at-home order. Did that not – is that not been pushed back? Uh, no. So uh, schools in northern Ontario started up January 11th, so like Thunder Bay and stuff like that. And then uh, kids are returning to school Monday, January 25th in some health units, depending on basically, I think they had to have under 40,000 COVID or 40 COVID cases per 100,000 population. 
okay. uh, per week. So some of these units include uh, Gray Bruce, which is where I'm from, Peterborough, Halliburton, Kingston, and uh, a couple other health units in Eastern Ontario. Uh, yeah, like I said, Northern Ontario schools went back in session January 11th. And do you know about the uh, the term R not or RT? You might have seen it as far as uh, pandemic spread goes, like COVID spread. I've seen it. I don't know what it is. Okay, let me briefly explain this term to you because it's going to follow up into another point. Um, RT is basically if you have COVID, if the RT in your area is over one, you're going to get, say it's 1.1. That means you're for every COVID case, you get 1.1 more COVID cases from it. So that can basically mean that COVID is oh, going so to increase. Oh, so just rate of transmission. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. rate of transmission. That's what the okay. T is. So it's uh, it, it essentially is, you I mean, you want to have an RT below one, right? Below yeah. 1.0. If it's below 1.0, that means cases are going to uh, project down over mm-hmm. the next couple of days, weeks, months, right? Uh, and right now, COVID, uh, the rate of transmission in Ontario has been below 1.0 on average for 11 days, except in uh, two of uh, the 34 units, health units. So, and these two of the 34 health units, there's let me guess one. Let me guess. Toronto and mm-hmm. Windsor. So you'd think, right? That would make sense. But actually, it's uh, Thunder Bay and another Northern Ontario uh, community, which wow. both of them have had. Uh, I've had classes in session since January 11th. So I follow this guy on Twitter. He's a, I think he's a, just a, well, I won't, I don't want to say just a teacher, but he's a, a teacher by trade and he's really, he's become like a, uh, he's a biostatistician as well. And he comes up with his daily COVID-19 analysis. His name's uh, Ryan Imgrund. So his username is at I M G R U N D. And this guy comes out with daily, like basically statistics and stuff which is just an analysis of the COVID situation in Ontario. And it's really interesting to read his stuff. So that's where I got that information from. And he's basically saying that, uh, you know, schools need to be shut down. That's a a major transmission point. Whereas the Ontario government saying it's not, we can do schools like do in-person schools safely, but I mean, that just goes to show you can't. Yeah. Haven't we known kids are super spreaders this whole time? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we have. So I I don't understand where the controversy is coming from. Why? Like it sucks, obviously, with the, even for the families that have to worry about their kids running around while they're working from home. But mm-hmm. everyone's kind of going through stuff in this pandemic. Yeah. So why send them back if it's just going to ultimately slow us down from getting back to normal? Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense, but uh, that's where they're going. I can't even imagine having a kid right now, though, man. Like, yeah, especially one in the house. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we feel bad for our parents having to deal with us every day. Yeah. And we're like somewhat mature. I say somewhat <laughs> loosely. But can yeah, you imagine loosely. having a kid right now? Uh, quite frankly, no. <laughs> no, I cannot. Like, I know the cliche is like I can't even take care of myself, but like seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a chance I can even wrap my head around that. So uh, good thing I don't. Dude, I can't even wrap my head around living with someone right now. Oh, I'd be at their throat. Well, like, but even like just a prospect of living with a girl, like it boggles my mind. Like how? How am I supposed to cohabitate? Like, I wouldn't even have my own room. That's what I always think. I wouldn't even have my yeah. own room. How are you supposed to jerk out of your sleep paralysis in the morning? Yeah. How am I? <laughs> That'd be really <laughs> awkward. You know what I mean? I'm just jerking out of it. What are you doing? Oh, just sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis honey. <laughs> Again? That's the 12th morning in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you should really see a doctor. <laughs> no, no. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to the... We got some... Uh, aviation news here just real quick so the boeing 737 max have you heard about that aircraft yeah it was uh they weren't allowed to use it right anymore in canada yeah so it was grounded i believe it was like 22 months ago almost two years ago now uh after two crashes in uh developing countries so there was one crash in indonesia and one crash in ethiopia where basically a faulty i believe it was an angle of attack sensor uh sent wrong information to uh software system called MCAS, which basically was supposed to help with the aircrafts. The aircraft's got a weird center of gravity because it has large engines. So basically it was to help control, uh, I can't remember, I think it was pitch up movements by basically pushing the uh, the nose of the aircraft down. Uh, but this, if there was a faulty sensor, it's going to send wrong messages to the software. And then it basically forced the plane to nosedive into the ground. And obviously there were fate, uh, 
lots of fatalities. I believe 18 Canadians actually died in these, uh, in the two crashes, Indonesian Airlines and the Ethiopian. So, but basically, the 737 Max has been returned to service um, a couple of days ago. WestJet has already done a couple of revenue flights with it. Air Canada is putting it back in February 1st. Haven't heard anything from Sunwing. I uh, don't know how, really how they're doing throughout the pandemic. I'm sure they're worst airline ever. It's it's no frills, right? With them, it's uh, you get down to your travel destination and you get back. That's basically what they do. So it's actually like discriminatory, almost, man. I'm not gonna make a claim because for legal purposes, obviously. But um, I remember flying Sunwing a few years ago, and I'm six foot three, and I couldn't fit in the seats. Yeah, they're tight. And I know it's a touchy subject for people, but you have people that say they're obese, uh, whether or not they can control it themselves. Some people have medical conditions, some don't. And there's that whole argument of whether it's discriminatory if they have to buy a second seat and whatnot, and they're not accommodating. What about tall people? <laughs> if you're not flying business class, then chances are you're going to be crunching your knees and it's going to be yeah, super uncomfortable for you. So it's just a little bit of perspective, right? Just because say someone's big uh, for reasons that they can't control, I think that makes sense to have accommodations made. But what about for tall people? You can't choose your height. And I know that people are rolling their eyes like, oh, you're tall. <laughs> Life must be so hard. But at the same time, like it sucks on airlines if you're not flying business. Yeah, it's uh, you get what you pay for essentially with that. And that's something that, you know, everyone's got to be mindful of when they purchase an aircraft ticket if you want. And that's the thing with like with someone as well. They're they're not uh, I don't want to call them a budget carrier. They're definitely a, a low cost carrier. They should be where, budget based off their plans, but they still charge out the wazoo because they fly out of Pearson. Yeah, well, that's Pearson. That's not them, right? The taxes in Pearson, I think, are Canada has the worst yeah. taxes in the Western world. <laughs> So yeah, yeah domestic the, flights are so high. Yeah, exactly. It is. And airport fees are the reason for that. Uh, Pearson's got, I think they're in the, like they're in the top percentile, I think in the world, as far as airport fees. Yeah, it's not, people think it's an economy of scale issue, but it's not really. It's just the absurd pricing by government owned airports. Yeah. But I think we've talked about that before. Yeah. Well, uh, basically the 737 max is back. Would you fly on it? Uh, by the time I'm going to fly again, let's hope it'd be good. Yeah. Uh, would you know. say you're going on a trip right now? You were scheduled on a 737 MAX aircraft. Would you uh, go on it or would you make I'd be a bit reluctant, I think, to go on. A bit apprehensive yeah. to undertake that just based off what happened. But Okay, I think that's fair enough. And I think a lot of people are going to have that, uh, that stance. I'm just going to quickly explain why this is probably the safest aircraft in the skies. Think about what these, not even just the regulatory bodies, so like the Federal Aviation Administration, Transport Canada, uh, European Aviation Safety Administration, ESA. Uh, think about wow. what they have to <laughs> think about what they have to lose, right? If if another plane goes down, another seven thirty seven max, it's basically you lose public trust, right? Yeah. And they everyone's. I haven't even mentioned this again that Boeing has to lose in this game. The seven thirty seven is Boeing's best selling aircraft of all time. If they lose like if there's another incident with this aircraft they can't gloss over anything on this recertification process because if something does come up and something does happen they are they're in a bad position quite frankly so i i think it's probably the safest aircraft in the skies right now uh i don't predict any further problems i really hope there isn't obviously we hope that for all aircraft and you know everything in the world but yeah in my opinion i think it's going to be the safest ride out there right now. You convinced me. That's what I'm trying to do. Buy me a ticket tomorrow. We're going somewhere. All right. Let me see if, uh, let me check the credit. See what we got there. Dude, I was actually worried you're about to choke on your words. There. I thought you were starting to spit like rap. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, TCSA. And I was like, holy. But I had their regulatory bodies lined up, ready to go. Wow. Wow. Well, anything else today? Um, yeah, I'm just going to say this quote from uh, Omar Algebra real quick. We don't have to have any discussion on it, but the new Transport Canada minister uh, came out with a quote basically saying, uh, uh, I'll just read it to you guys. Since March 2020, we have strongly advised against travel. I call on all Canadians to cancel all discretionary travel as we work to protect the health of Canadians and reduce the spread of COVID-19. As the prime minister said, we are currently considering options to further restrict travel. To further restrict travel. That's concerning. These new measures could be introduced with short notice. 
I'm aware of the challenging time the airline sector and airports are facing because of COVID and travel restrictions. Our government is committed to working with the industry to offer support that will include protection of jobs, restoration of regional routes, and passenger refunds. A resilient airline sector is critical to Canada's economy. So basically, I just got a real couple real quick points there. This guy, uh, Mr. Algebra, he mentions this, and uh, a couple things really jump out to me here. We have strongly advised against travel. Uh, yeah, uh, why were so many politicians traveling? Uh, another thing that jumps out to me, as the prime minister said, we are currently considering options to further restrict travel. How can you further restrict travel other than like what there's already out right now? So you have to have a negative PCR test within 72 hours of boarding your flight. So that's really tough to do in a developing country. So that basically mm-hmm. limits travel to those stations. And then you run into the uh, 14-day quarantine when you return to spite the negative PCR test. And then there's also... You're able to get, if you want, when you re-enter Canada, another negative or another COVID test from the uh, from the Canadian airport. So there's already an exponential amount of travel restrictions, and they're threatening basically to announce further restrictions at short notice. So that's kind of alarming for me. And yeah, then, uh, yeah, he says, I'm aware of the challenging time the airline sector and airports are facing because of COVID and travel restrictions. So it's good he's aware. Um, hopefully, he's working towards you know, some sector specific uh, support because nobody else from the, every other country in the G8 has done that. And then uh, lastly, a resilient airline sector is critical to Canada's economy. Um, and our government is committed to working with the industry to offer support that will include protection of jobs, restoration, regional routes and passenger refunds. So they said that also 302 days ago and they have yet to do anything. So a little bit of a smoke screen there, I think from Mr. Algebra, I mean, something may still come from it. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt as a new uh, transport minister, but I just hope we see something soon. That's about all I want to say on that. Quick little update for my aviation friends that are listening in. There you go. Boom. We'll talk about the restrictions and in, in, in the next episode or a couple episodes from now in terms of vaccine passports and, and all the technicalities that and constitutional crisis that could arise from that. So maybe we'll yep. talk about that in another episode. Sounds good. All right. Anything else? No, I think we're good. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in to episode 12 of the Founding Fellows podcast. All right. See See you next time.